All right, you guys, let's take a quick seat. We're going a little long today because we've been praying and stuff, so I will make this brief. Brief, brief, brief. If you're joining us, um, we've been going through the book of Romans. And if this is your first time here, as we've been going through the book of Romans, we do have on the back table these Romans books. The Kevin will hold one up so you know what I'm talking about. They're a Romans book. It's a journal. It has the book of Romans in it and a bunch of lined pages that you can take notes in. And so as we're going through this time, it's good to have that as a Bible study. And since this is, we're going to be going through Romans 4 today. That's the fourth week we've been in the book of Romans. We won't spend too much time in the background part, but it is helpful just to recap really quick. This book is written by Paul. It's a letter to the church that was in Rome at the time, which was struggling through two main groups of people disagreeing. There was the Jewish Christian people and the Gentile Christian people. They weren't getting along, and Paul's writing them to address those differences and how to sort it out. And uh, in so doing, he also does a pretty good presentation of the gospel and justification and a whole lot of stuff. And because of that, it's a favorite book of a lot of the church for the last 2,000 years. And because of that, everybody doesn't agree on. <laughs> and so there's a varying opinions on pretty much every single bit of it. And uh, I've made the promise that I'll give you the best I got. But uh, we might have some, you know, if I say something, you go, I've never heard that, or I've always heard this this other way. There's probably a reason, and we can talk, you know, but everybody else is going to be sharing, Pastor Kevin, a couple other people, they're going to give you their best as well. So we're studying what Paul was saying to reconcile these two groups of people in the church in Rome 2,000 years ago, two groups of people that, though they may still exist in, you know, principle, it's hard for us to get to the culture that they were in without a lot of work. You can't just, you know, like when you read about ancient culture, like what was, through some of the stuff I've been reading about, and it'll come up a bit today, uh, what was like a household like in Rome? None of us would feel comfortable in it, like at all. You know, like the way the house functioned, the role of slaves in the society. Like all of us would be like, I'm uncomfortable with all of this. You know what I mean? And so when Paul's addressing, like what's interesting is by addressing this very specific group and what they're going through, he says things that are universally useful to the rest of us. So um, but you got to also realize he's talking 2,000 years ago to a group of people that we don't know a whole lot about. And so sometimes that whole thing, we're like, I just read the Bible and do what it says. It's like, well, yeah, but you're reading a letter from people like, you don't, did you try at all to understand what he was saying? You know what I mean? So you got to take note of this kind of stuff. But the first three chapters, Paul did a pretty good job of repeatedly reminding us how bad we are as people. <laughs> and then we got, ain't got a whole lot to stand. Like, because he's like, you got two groups of people fighting with each other. One thinks they're better than the other. They both think they're better than the other one. And then he's like, yeah, that, that doesn't make sense. So let me tell you why. And then he lays it out in pretty good detail to where you think he's talking about somebody else. And then he's talking about you. And then you know, y'all remember. But it's been, and then he, he lays out like the whole thing. And then like famous Bible verse we ran into last week, verse two verses, Romans 3, 23 and 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. And that's kind of the whole point of the whole thing. And that was the whole point of last week. It's kind of the whole point of the whole book, but there's more detail. So we're going to take a look at that. I'm going to pray really quick. So, Father, bless this time as we study your word, that we would hear from you, that you would speak to us, and it would change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. And so Paul's been speaking a lot to the Jewish group and the non-Jewish group. And drawing, uh, if you're jumping in the middle of this, you might be like, what, are we, what is he talking about? He's been talking, the last chapter, he was talking a lot to the Jewish group. And he makes a lot of Jewish references that they would get 
to, to make his points. You know, the big point being the one I just read. He's like, everybody's sinned. Everybody's fallen short of God's glory, and everybody needs to be redeemed by God. And God, good news, God did it. You know, like it's good news. It's available. But don't be trying to be like, since I earned it and all. That's this whole point. But the Jewish people have this long tradition, like I read about last week. You know, God has said from the beginning, if you look at the beginning of the Bible, people come along and screw everything up. And God's like, don't worry, I'm going to fix it. And then he starts to get a guy, Abraham or Abram at the time. And he's like, this is how we're going to fix it. There's a whole long line of thinking the Jewish people are going, well, what about all that stuff that happened? You know, we call it the Old Testament. It's still in your Bible. It's not like they're like, ah, throw that one out. We don't need it anymore. It's not what he said. He was like, they're like, so what about all that? You know, and they're still having that conversation, or he's anticipating that conversation and answering it for them because they didn't have texting, you know. So he had to kind of, here, I know you're probably thinking this, so here, you know, that kind of thing. Romans 4.1. So what shall we say? What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about. If, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's just a quote. He's just saying, I mean, like, what do you think? Do you think that he was making the point last week that he's like, you know, you guys have the, the law, you know, that Moses got about, like, here's, here's how to do things. And he's like, you think that's saving you, but actually all that's doing is just pointing out the, the wrong stuff. He's like, that's how you know how wrong you are. He's like, you're not living up to any of this stuff. You, and he's like, it never was intended to make you right. That's what God has always been trying to do. And he's, so now he's talking about Abraham, who's actually before Moses. He's the first, and he's using him as like a, 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 a most Jewishy example, if that's a fair word to use. Like Abraham is like the, the father of them all. Father Abraham and many sons. I mean, we all know this kind of stuff. He's like, he's like He's like, so what, what about Abraham? You think he was saved by the law? You know? And he's starting to say this. Even, and he's making the point, even Abraham, the Jewishiest of them all, is made right by faith. And faith is, and his faith is not a foreign concept in the Bible. And he quotes this here as Genesis 15, 1 through 6. And this is Abraham, Abram at the time. God's like, hey, you're the guy that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do all this great stuff out of. He's an old dude. Some of you might have read this in Genesis. Like, this is in Genesis, the first book. And... After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, afraid Abram. He's, Abram turns into Abraham, you know. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can, what can you give me since I remain childless? So, like, he's like an old dude, right? So I like how practical he is here. He's like, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus, like this other guy, like... <laughs> He's already made plans. He's like, I got a guy, but he's not my son or anything. I don't have a son. You know, and Abram said, you have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. You know, the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took Abraham, Abram outside, looked, took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, i.e. you can't, you know. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So old guy... That God's like, you're the guy I'm going to do this through. He's like, I'm so old that I've made plans. You know, like, like not only am I not going to have a kid, I already know the guy who's going to get everything. Like, we're done. Like, that's old, old news. You know, and God's like, yeah, you'll have a kid. He's like, that, what? And then he's like, go outside, look at the stars. That's how, that's your offspring. All in, that, you have to hear how unbelievable this would sound. That's the whole point. It doesn't make sense. Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And if you keep reading, he keeps talking. He's like, but God, I'm so old. Like, how are you, you know, 
Are you sure? Like, and it, it goes on. We don't have to get into that. But he was an old guy. God's promising him land, descendants, and it's this whole. And, and he's like, if you say so. I mean, are you going to tell God no? But we, don't we tell God no all the time? You know, he's like, if you say so. And they do struggle with it. Like, they kind of, you know, like, are you sure? I heard you right. You know, there's, a whole thing, there's more of the story. You can go find it and read it. But Paul's bringing him up and saying, he's like, you know, all this justified by the law thing, by doing the right things. I'll earn it. God's love I will earn by doing all the right things. Then he has to love me, which no one thinks, no one says, but everybody does all the time, right? And then he's like, it doesn't work. And he goes, even Abram, like, he, Abraham, he's, he's justified by faith because God told him an impossible thing. And he was like, if you say so. Let's keep going. Because he, here's the deal. Like, we're going to get into this, but he took him out and showed him the stars. And you're one of those stars. So, like, we're kind of still in this thing. Like, it's not like, this is an old story long ago, and it's, you know, they happily live after. Like, it's still, there's more stars that are coming in, you know? We'll get to that. Now, verse 4, now to the one who works, wages, name drop, the, that's my last name if you, some of y'all been doing your taxes. Wages is, for young people, wages is money you get paid for work you earn. And then the government takes some of it from you, and, uh. Whatever. The wages are not credited to them as a gift, but as an obligation, meaning you earned it. Okay? Wages are money you get paid for the job you did, or your last name if you're cool. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited to them as righteousness. He's saying he's like he's not talking about anything Abraham did. He's just because you said so. And then our faith, when we act like that, it makes us like Abraham too. It's not something we earn. God justifies the ungodly. And that's bothersome. It's not always bothersome to us or to me. Like, that's hopeful. It's like, oh, good. It's bothersome when you look at other people. You're like, them too? What? You know, being honest. But then he changes the thing. He goes to David now. David says the same thing. Well, David and Abraham are in agreement. This is the point he's making. When he speaks of the blessedness of the one who... To, one to whom God credits righteousness apart from the works. And he quotes him, Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. That's Psalm 32, 1 2. And J- David is also like another super Jewish guy. He's like, this is King David now. So now we got Abraham on my side and King David on my side. Your argument is not working out so well, you know. And uh, that's his whole point. He's trying to just cover it all. But he knows what they're thinking. And this is when he gets into some of the signs of the separation of the Jewish people. And so he goes into this in verse 9. Is the blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Is the blessedness only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. He answers it with an exclamation point in the Bible I'm reading here, emphatically. It was not after, but before. He received circumcision as a sign, a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. 
So then, he is the father of all who believe but have not been circumcised, in order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is then also the father of the circumcised, who not only are circumcised, but who also follow in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham, or follow, so I'm sorry, follow in the footsteps of, that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So the word circumcised was in there so much it's hard to follow what he's saying. He's just saying, God is saving everybody by faith. Circumcised, uncircumcised, before circumcised, after circumcised. He goes, that's not the point. The circumcision that God had them do, and if you remember, you like Kevin, we've been reading through Joshua and like, well, it's a rabbit trail. It'll take time. But the, uh, it mattered. It wasn't like a non-thing. And God made him do it again, which I don't want to, you know. Um, but it was, he's making the point, that didn't do anything. It was a sign of something that God had done. It was a sign of something God had said. It was a sign of a, it was even like a faithful action. It's like when, when the rain stopped and the floods went away and God puts a rainbow and he says to Noah, this is a sign. The rainbow doesn't make the, the floods stop. It's a sign. God said, this is a sign. It's a sign that points to something else. It means something. It's like we talk about baptism being an outward sign of an inward um, confession or, you know, that kind of thing. And so he's putting it in the proper place, not throwing it away necessarily, just putting it in the proper place. Verse 13, it was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring, offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs. Faith means nothing to the promise, and the promise is worthless. So, it's like again, if you're trying to use the law to like win against God, he's like, you don't have a whole lot to work with, you know. But he's being kind of specific because the law brings wrath, and there is no law, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. And making the point here, the law, the law is a Moses Exodus thing, and Abraham is in the book before that. And he knows everybody knows this. He's like, the law's important. Like, God doesn't take you up on a mountain and give you the law and be like, eh, I don't know. I just, I just threw this together. It's not like that. He's like, this is really important stuff to God. But people have made it into something it wasn't supposed to be. And he's trying to put it back where it was meant to be. And he's saying, the law is revealing how much humanity needs a Savior. And I'm doing it through these priestly people. He's like, it never was meant to redeem anything. And now you guys have turned it into, the, like, maybe your own God. And there's weird stuff with Moses where, like, well, again, rabbit trails. Bible rabbit trails, though, they're good. They started worshiping the snake that, you know, that Kevin knows what I'm talking about. The, uh, maybe he doesn't. The, uh, <laughs> not because he doesn't know the Bible, but because I didn't make enough comment for him. He's saying move on. The, uh. The law was part of the plan and the promise. It was part of the plan. It's not the whole plan. That's, the, that's kind of the, what the point is. Like, when you make part of something, the whole thing, it becomes not what it's supposed to be. And you go, oh, so it's bad. He's like, no, it's not bad. It's just not everything. You know, it's like if you had a hammer, and you're like, this is my tool. And you're like, well, all right, well, we need a screwdriver. You're like, this is my tool. I'll use it for everything. You'd be like, that's, that's not a good tool for this. And you're like, what, you hate hammers? We're like, well, no. We like hammers for hammer things, but we also like screwdrivers for screwdriver things. And they are different. You know, it's that kind of thing. And, uh, but when you talk to hammer people, they have a hard time seeing that. <laughs> I have the, the, the I'm embarrassed for you face is very strong. <laughs> I don't feel any embarrassment, so... Therefore, the promise comes. I, I mean, I, never mind. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be <laughs> by grace, 
and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Remember the stars? Now listen to this. All Abraham's offspring. This is provocative stuff. Not only those who are of the law, but also those who have faith, the faith of Abraham. It could be anybody. It could be everybody. He is the father of us all. Remember the God we talked about last week? Yahweh is the God. Not a God, the God. The same the God that if you're going to think of God, he's that God. That's the God, you know? Doesn't mean everything we say about the God is right, but he's that, that's clear identification. He's the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our, he is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to dead and calls into being things that were not. Things that, he's calling into being things. Remember, he, like, you go, you say, like, people hearing this would be like, oh, you say, he's saving Gentiles too? He's like, yeah. It's just like telling an old guy who's 100 years old and your wife is also old. It's carefully worded, but they're like, she's going to have a kid. And he's like, yeah, I don't know about you see what I'm saying? It's not, it's not, he's like, his point is they're kind of the same thing. You tell a really old guy, couple, hey, you're about to have a kid, and you're going to be like the father of many nations. It's not that it's like, hey, God is also saving everyone or anyone who puts their faith in Jesus, right? Not too far-fetched if you look at him the same way. That's the whole thing he's saying. And through Jesus, Abraham becomes the father of many nations, not just one, many, like the stars. Count them if you can. You can't. This is the whole they didn't have computers back then. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was good as dead. He faced it. Since he was about 100 years old and Sarah's womb was also dead. That's in, yeah. yet, th- yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. That is why it was credited to him as righteousness. Look, it's like an old dude, sees the star, he, but he struggles. Like you, Some of you know the story, you read it, like, that's kind of an interesting paraphrase. Like I'm thinking of, you know, Ishmael. Like there's other people involved in the story, and, you know, it was, the point is it's a story. God's taking action in the real world, and we're interacting with it. It's more like a conversation. It's more like a dialogue. And... We get some things right, but ultimately, it works out through all the bumps and stuff. Even with Abraham, the words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also, again, through Jesus, for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. Jesus' earthly existence, his current resurrected bodily existence, or what he's a descendant of Abraham. So God makes this promise, and they struggle a little, but they get it worked out. It goes all the way down to, to Jesus. And if you read some of Jesus' genealogies, which are in the Gospels, there's interesting stories in there. The people that make the list. Like you think, all right, he's going to go through like the main guys all the time, and it's going to, you know. And then you go, why, are, why is this person in there? He's, Jesus isn't ashamed of it. Against all hope. What are you dealing with that's against all hope? And God's like, hey, you know the thing you gave, up, you gave up on a while ago? It's about time. And you're like, that's, I've already made plans. 
He's like, all right, I mean, still, you know, I'm God and all, you know. But also for us to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. That's the end of that chapter. Jesus was delivered to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. That it was God is just. It was right for him to judge sin, but it's also right for him to forgive. Or it's fair for him to forgive. God is accomplishing for us what we could not do, taking sin's punishment from us through what Jesus has done. So this whole point is you're saved by faith in Jesus only, and that's the only thing. It's the only way, it's the only ever way there was going to be, and you can't earn it, and you never could. But we all seem to want to, you know, like we're like that parable Jesus tells of the, the, the son runs off, and he wastes all the family's money, and when he comes back, he's like, hey, let me pay you back, you know, and he's like, no, like what are you talking about, you know? It's not how this works. And he's like, you really kind of couldn't anyway. Because even if you put all the money back in the bank account that you wanted, the, the dishonor you've done to the name is like a bigger deal. You know what I mean? But Abraham was like us. He was made righteous by faith. That's the thing. So Paul, this is not an uncommon thing that he's been doing this whole book. Look, if you read in Galatians 3, 26 through 29, I know I'm just reading a lot here, but this is good. It's the Bible. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. Same idea, right? This is a different book to different people. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself in Christ, clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Another another letter, Colossians three one through eleven. This is a little longer. Puts it into some of the. Um, context. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. You died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. That's good. That's, That's great. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. This is called a vice list. And you could keep going. And then you've, we've read some of these other ones recently where he just kind of keeps going. And you're like, man, like everything, you know. He's like, don't, that's the bad stuff, you know. Because, the, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things. And, um, here's more, anger. Rage, malice, and filthy language from your lips. Lips, Don't lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and you put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, here, after what he just said, here all, after all that, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all. And is in all. All all. So how do we work this out? You know, I found this commentary, Scott McKnight, who's a Bible scholar, he said this about that. The ground of our acceptance with God is faith. The ground of our union with Christ is faith. Because it is by faith and not works of the law. Justification is not just for Jews, but also for Gentiles. 
Acceptance with God is based on faith. Peace with God is based on faith. And he goes on to say peace with other people is based on faith. What Paul is saying here is that Gentiles don't have to come, don't have to become Jews to be accepted by God. And what he's saying here is women don't have to become men. What he's also saying here is slaves don't have to become free to be accepted because they are accepted by God on the basis of faith. That's how they're accepted. Whom God accepts is accepted. Whom God accepts, we are to accept. And you may be like, yeah, but even him? Yes. Even her? Yes. Or maybe more accurately how we normally think, even them? Yes. And usually in the plot of our lives, it's the ones you least expect. And that's Paul, if you remember. Like, he wasn't like, since I've been Jesus-y my whole life. You know, you know, he was killing people and all. We talked about that. So he, it's, it's fresh in his mind. Like, I don't deserve it, but you don't either. You know, like, don't, don't get all that way about it. Kayla, you come on up. There's a couple quick points here that I just want to make. You, one is that you can't be accepted by God and not accept others. We've talked about this. It was part of the whole last three chapters. That, like, God accepts those who put their faith in him, and we can't unaccept them. There's just no place for that in this body of Christ. And since we talked about that recently, I, I think you get it, so I just didn't want to, you know, but it's in there. Whom God accepts is accepted, and we have to accept. There's no unaccepting of that. It's also this. So that's the first thing. One, you can't be accepted by God and not accept others, which we tend to be pretty good at, not accepting others. It's also this. It's not about forcing everyone to be like you either. That's a harder one, maybe. And maybe specifically it's like, you know, like, I'm not saying it here. My job is not to force you to be like me. You know, if I was, then you would all know a whole lot more about Transformers than you do right now. <laughs> and you would get a lot more Simpsons jokes. I'm just saying. <laughs> but, I'm not, that's, but in real ways, like, it's not my job to force you to relate to God the way that I do. Or to force, so coincidentally, I had two old friends pray for Lisa this morning, Eric and Nancy. And I'm sure you noticed they don't pray the same way. They don't relate to God the same way. We don't say to Eric, now Eric, you need to Nancy it up. We need to hear some yelling from you and some, come on, y'all, or whatever. That wouldn't be Eric. And, and we would lose the gift of what Eric brings by him trying to imitate or, like, and then Nancy is Nancy. And, like, last time she was here, she was wearing, like, zebra pants. And I was like, ain't, ain't no way y'all would all know. Like, we're not going to be like that. But if she's not like that, that's how she is. Like, she came out that way. You know what I mean? And we would lose the gift trying to get her to be Eric. Now, be Eric now. You need to cry and you need to really feel what they're feeling. You know, and all that kind of And if y'all were all like me, you'd get Transformers references. But that's not the point. We've talked about the body of Christ. We're all the pieces, and we're all supposed to be different, and we can receive from each other the gift 
that we bring. And God wants the gifts too. And I was telling Marianne this about, we were talking about Passover and things, and I said, you guys bring to our church a gift, an understanding of the importance of the feasts in the biblical stories that so much of the church is just left behind. And I told her, I was like, I know that most of us are never going to celebrate Passover in our homes ever as Gentile Christian people, but to never have any contact with it, you lose so much understanding of who Jesus is, the worldview he's a part of, even a book like Romans and what they're even talking about, just because no one, you never brushed up against it. Meanwhile, it's emphasized in the Bible quite a bit, you know. So even just to understand what they're talking about, they say Passover lamb. I was like, you bring that gift to everybody, if we'll receive it, you know. But there's however many people in this room, there's that many gifts. So we're not going to be forcing each other to act like each other. And I uh, hope that's clear. The third thing is, if Jesus accepts you, you're accepted. Depending on who you are, you might need to accept yourself. And there, we all come bringing the things, the things. You know, if you had parents that always told you wrong things about yourself and that weird way that the things parents say get in and don't get out <laughs> your heavenly father is saying I accept you the way you are but do you and he's not you know we read through those lists where he talked about slaves and women and he's not making commentary on slavery like social commentary. There's other places in the Bible that do talk about that. Even Paul talks about it a couple of places. And the book of Philemon is about that. He's not pro-slavery, you know? He's just saying, if Jesus accepts you, what they say about you doesn't matter anymore. And in the other places, like, if you can get free, let's get free. Like, we're not about this. And like I said, if you understood and if you read, even like I did, not as, I'm not an expert, but if you read, like, how the social environment that Paul was talking to, like he was talking to people who either recently or in their world next door could be a family that lives together and they have a place people come stay, their hotel, and then they have servant girls that are their slaves that help them clean the place or offer services to people. And that's part of the, what you can offer. Paul knows there's, that's how people lived. You know, and he's saying to that person who's in the room with these people, it doesn't matter what they say to you anymore. And he knows this. He's not saying it. He's like, oh, you know, if I had known what people were, I might have changed how it. He knows how they're living. We don't know how they were living, but we know how we live. And we're saying, like, God's not offering. He's offering hope to us, our group, the ones that act like us, that think like us, that operate, you know, in the Holy Spirit the way that we do or talk about God this way. And we won't even extend it to, like, maybe the church across the street. He's extending it to people who he knows. In this world, your whole life, you might never get free from this. You might die in the situation that you're in where they're calling you this thing. And he's saying it doesn't matter anymore if you understand what I'm telling you.
But people don't understand what he's saying. He's like, it doesn't matter anymore. Not that it doesn't matter at all. He's just saying it's a better way to say it was, it's not the most important thing. He's like, what I'm giving you is so much bigger that it changes these things. But Christian, this is a quote I found from Diane Landberg, who's a psychologist who works in trauma. She says this, Christian, Christendom, meaning like the stuff we do in the, as the church in Jesus' name or something, has used scripture to sanction slavery, racism, domestic violence, sexual, bru- sexual abuse, and cruel, and other, okay, I'm going to read it again. Christendom has used scripture to sanction slavery, racism, domestic violence, sexual abuse, and other cruelties our God hates. Some corners of Christendom today have become less interested in the truth and more interested in power. So this is the kind of thing, like, I mentioned this at the women's conference, like, Paul's speaking to people that he knows their life situation may not change. And he has the audacity to say to them, if you receive what Jesus is offering to you, it doesn't matter anymore. He's the one who sets us free in deeper ways. You will find yourself in situations where your status or just your whole self are minimized by others. But Jesus still says you're accepted. Who are you going to listen to? And I'll be like, Paul, my fourth language, you're like, okay, so you're great. You're telling people they can do whatever they want. Live however you want. Jesus accepts you. Did you not hear any of the stuff I just read from Paul? He's like, here's the stuff you shouldn't do if you're following God. And he lists off a list. And it kind of includes everything. All that bad stuff. It's not a permission to go do stuff. That's not how this works. Like, that's not even remotely what we're talking about. But here's the thing about that. When I think that way, okay, great. You're telling people, like, whatever. It doesn't matter what you do. Da, 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 da. You can live however you want. Jesus just accepts you. Or, great. I can do whatever I want. You can't tell me what I can't do. You see? Both of those are the, they're, they're like the opposite argument of, the, you know. <laughs> well, first off, Paul does tell you what you can't do in the list. But here's the real bigger problem with that. I think that all of that sounds like you're talking about yourself. I can, na, 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 na. But really, all of the focus of that is still on everybody else. Like, you're gonna, you have to tell me that, right? You have to tell it to my face so I hear it. I can be whoever I want to be because da, 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 da. I'm like, why do you have to tell me that? What if I don't care? You know what I mean? Like, you see what I'm saying? Then it doesn't, you follow what I'm saying here. Also, that worry what are you telling all these people? No, 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 no. You see, it's always focused on them. Like, why don't we just drop it? Like, maybe Jesus will accept the ones he accepts. Remember I talked about last week, the Pharisee comes up and prays, thank God I'm not bad like these bad guys. And then the tax collector who read through the lines, bad guy, comes in and says, Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he says, that guy was accepted, accepted, accepted. That's offensive. He's accepted. He's a bad guy. He's accepted. This supposed to be good guy is not accepted. So maybe we should all just stop all of that. Like if your whole point is like, what, how many bad things can I do and still be accepted? Like this kind of whole line of thinking isn't right. And then also like, I want to be really clear about all the bad things other people can't do. It's like, you're still stuck in the law world. This isn't how we're supposed to be thinking. 
That's enough of that. But it's really, in a lot of ways, easy to love God, relate to God. See, you know, even in spite of, like, the whole wrath and all the, that stuff, you know, it's like this loving God offering us freedom and salvation. It's like, that's really great stuff. But then loving all the people that are sitting next to us is a lot harder. And that's where Scott McKnight was talking about. He's like, yeah, we're accepted by God through faith. But we also accept each other through faith. It's the same faith. Like, by being accepted by God allows me to accept unacceptable people. Okay. And it happens through faith. And faith is not the same thing as just certainty. Like, you know, Leslie Newbigin said it this way, we are continually required, as Christian people, we are continually required to act on beliefs that are not demonstrably certain and to commit our lives to propositions that can be doubted. Did y'all hear what I just said? Do y'all believe that? I mean, it's not in the Bible, but I find that to be the truth. We are continually, by Jesus, required to act on beliefs that are not demonstrably certain and to commit our lives to propositions that can be doubted. That's how he designed it. Like, I can't prove all of it to you. Because if I could, you would be stuck in this weird place where just like these guys are dedicated to the law, you think your faith is in God, but really your faith is in your understanding of God. And you go, is there a difference? Yeah, because when God does something that doesn't fit in your understanding, you can't see it as God. And God is real and free if he's God at all, you know? You're continually required. So that weird thing in the back of your mind, like, I wish I could just prove this, though. Just let me tell you, you can't. I can't prove to you, prove, meaning like without a shadow of a doubt, and if you ran the same science experiment, you would come to the exact same conclusion. I can't prove to you that God exists, and I can't prove to you that Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross saves you from sin. But when I read the story, and when I see what he does, and what it does in my life, I go, it's the truth, and I'm going to dedicate my life to it, even though I can't prove it to you. Because truth works differently than that, even though our societies forget. So I will just read a little clip here about faith. It's in Hebrews 11, which people debate. Paul might have wrote this. Most people think he didn't, but Jeopardy thought he did, which was funny a couple years ago. That's a Bible nerd joke. They're like, the writer of the book of Hebrews, and somebody said, who is the Apostle Paul? And all these Bible scholars were like, that is not an agreed upon. Kevin remembers. <laughs> it floated around in the Twitter parts of the world we're in. But they're like, I guess they voted, you know. Alex Trebek says so. Now faith is confident. Faith is confidence. Let's stand up. I'm going to read this in closing. And then Kayla's going to sing this, lead us in a song to close. And then if you need prayer for anything, you can come down at the end and we'll release. If you have children, we we need you to go get your kids um, yourself. That's like our security policy is that the parents check the kids out. And we all know each other. I know it's a little bit, some of us don't know each other yet. So we need to Go get our kids immediately, but we can hang out as long as we want. It's now sunny and nice. Uh, but if you need prayer, we'll have a prayer team down by the front doors here, and they'll pray for you um, for anything. But we need more faith. It's time for us to put our faith in Jesus. And maybe as I'm reading this, I want you to be specific. You know, I like when it's very church sounding, like, I put my faith in Jesus. Eric, did you put your faith in Jesus? Eric's put his faith in Jesus. Kevin's put his faith in Jesus. We're all put our faith in Jesus, right? And when you say it that way, what's going on over here? 
Oh, okay, okay. There was activity. If you put your faith in Jesus, you know, if I say, Eric, did you put your faith in Jesus? He's like, yeah. And I go, how? What have you put your faith in Jesus about? And we were talking about confession. He might go, well, actually, there's this thing in my work that I've been having a hard time with, or this thing in my relationship with my neighbor. I'm making things up. I don't know. You know, this one I've been having a hard time putting my faith in Jesus about. So when I say be specific, it's an opportunity. If you don't know who Jesus is and you want to give your life to him, yes, put your faith in Jesus in the broadest possible sense. That's what I'm meaning. But sometimes we start to take things back, you know. So right now, God's saying, like, what are you putting what does that mean to you? Or like, what, what faith are you putting in, like, my hands? And what, what, what are you actually putting your faith in Jesus about? You know, is it loving other people? Is it loving that jerk person that they have to work with every day? I mean, like, there's real things. I mean, you can be frank. It's not like God doesn't know. What is faith? Hebrews 11, this is the faith chapter. So go take it and read it. I'm going to read just a little bit. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That seeing would be what Leslie Newbigin was talking about. I can't make you see-see it. I can rough it in, but I can't, you know. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, not by scientifically provable data, by faith. So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And then he goes through this whole Bible story of you know, he was talking about Jewish heroes. He's bringing up everybody, every single person. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered his son Isaac as a, as a sacrifice who would embrace the promise. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt. By faith, Moses, parents hid him when he's three, and he just keeps going. By faith, Rahab, remember I said all those people that made it into Jesus? Look up who Rahab is. By by. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed and was with those who were disobedient. He goes all the way through. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us they would be made perfect. That better thing he's talking about is what Jesus did. It was always part of the plan. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all these people he just mentioned, and all of us. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Not a, what can I get away with? Throw it off! And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Again, like the slavery thing. He went through it. He knows. He's just saying, this doesn't get to define me. I'm scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. It's time to put our faith in Jesus. We need to be specific. So, Father, I pray that you would let faith arise in this room. Lord, we want to worship you with our faith. We want to give to you our lives in every way especially in those ways that we specifically hold back from you. And Lord, forgive us for that. We confess that we haven't fully trusted you. Lord, I ask that we would, even if we can't prove it, and which is so hard for our Western minds, Lord, it's hard. It's hard for my OCD mind to say, I can't prove it, but I'm going to trust you. But I trust you, Lord. And I pray for um, levels of faith to arise, Lord. Let, us, let it not hinder us. Let us go in, um, as surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. In Jesus' name.
Amen. If you need prayer, you can come forward or come forward at the end after the song. But let's sing this song in closing together.